In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Christian journey is often a moving target. And whether we're drawn to where we are going or driven is often an open question. Elijah, the prophet, running for his life to escape the prophet's reward, the logical consequences of doing his job, which is to be a mouthpiece for God, telling truth to power. Up against the gruesome twosome, Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah is told that tomorrow will be his last day. He will die for having dispatched the false prophets, the servants of Baal, after a spectacular display, a duel of pyrotechnics, which he won, which God won through him. That should be enough. But now he discovers that once again, this inspiration, this divine manifestation of energy uh, comes with a cost. He is on the run for the safety of the wilderness. One moment up in the clouds and the other running for your life, that is the prophet's life. Of course, in the wilderness, nothing can live. That's why it's the wilderness. Nothing can live because nothing can grow. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. A cake, it's really a loaf of oatmeal. A loaf of bread, our daily bread, as the Lord calls it in his prayer. Give us today our daily bread. We say, but better, give us today what we need every day. For we need those carbs to produce the energy that stokes the furnace that is our body. We use them up, and every day we are empty where the day before we were full. We need it again to help us give out heat, fueling the heart that beats and the brain that thinks and the feet that walk, all driven by their own pulse of life, emptiness, fullness, tension, release, the pulse of life, the bread of life. And when the heart stops beating and the blood stops pumping and connecting the brain in the heart with the brain in the gut, with the brain in the head, yeah, wouldn't you know I'd point to the heart up here. This is, a, <laughs> this is the problem right here. Heart, I brush my teeth. I, anyway, the, <laughs> we die. When it stops connecting, we die. After our heart stops and we are technically dead, we lose 10% of our body tissue with every minute. After 10 minutes, there's nothing to bring back. And he asked that he might die. Elijah, knowing that he is running from a quick death then to a slow death, asks for mercy. None of us wants to die. He gets it. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. He is following in his path the path of the wandering people of Israel, making their way through Exodus through that 40 days and 40 nights, which symbolize a wilderness beyond which you will die if you do not find food. This divine bread buys Elijah time and strength, supernatural strength. It buys him back his life. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus comes and offers to everyone, well, we'll say everyone for now, what the angel brought specifically to Elijah. Elijah on the run, driven by fear, going into certain death, is redeemed, the last thing he expects. Given the bread that satisfies, the bread that sustains, Jesus' followers gathering around him are grumbling because they cannot believe that this man, who claims to be the bread of life, is just the son of a carpenter an everyday person. They have no taste for this bread. They are not drawn by what he says at all. How to get this bread then? You come to Jesus, how to come to him? Here's the catch, because no one's making that move now. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, we break this word open. We don't like to do word studies on your time. We have to do word studies on your time. Our semantic play on words translates the good old word el cuo, which means to drag by force, used to describe the act of drawing water from a friend. We translated it draw, it means to drag, even by violent force. The semantic field domain of the English word draw has shifted since this was set into English. And now draw means anything but drag. I don't know when the last time I was asked to draw some water from a well, but I remember pulling a two-gallon bucket of water up the 30 vertical feet, straight up, dead weight. My burning arms were about ready to be ripped from their sockets. But as the bucket swung back and forth, crashing into the walls of the well, sloshing its contents into the depths from which they came, it was gradually emptied anyway, <laughs> only to be sent back down again. Jesus draws us, yes. But I couldn't get water from that well by going and saying, here water, here water, here water, let me woo you into the bucket, come down the sawdust trail. If you came on a bus, it'll wait. Uh-uh. We're dragged down that sawdust trail or we don't come at all, or we don't stay. So it is when the Father drags us to himself that we know we're on that journey. And when we come to the end of our rope and say, I don't want to be here, when we go downtown on a mission and serve some people and say, I'd rather be back at home. That's when we meet Jesus. Sometimes the bread that he offers us has no appeal at all. If you're eating to live, you need two things. You need the bread, but you also need the hunger to eat it, the desire. If you do not hunger and thirst, you are as good as dead. We see that with people who are anorexic. They waste away, surrounded by food, they starve. And so it is with us, because spiritually speaking, we're all very much on the anorexic side, as far as Jesus is concerned. The heart in our body is beating, the pulse of life is animating our torso and our limbs, but inside we are stone dead. Awaiting that offer from Jesus, awaiting him to give us the, the gift of the bread of life, the life of the ages to come, seculo seculorum. No, <laughs> awaiting the gift of the hunger for that bread. 
without which we will remain outwardly glowing in the pink of good health, even in a church somewhere, inwardly wasting away, our spiritual pulse flatlined, and we are not in the least aware that anything is missing. Well, maybe a gnawing, unnamed hunger leaves us famished when our pursuit of all the world's goodies and our acquisition of them should have left us full, but won't. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, he says, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. The pulse of life, then, is the rhythm of life. And when our cycle of earthly energy from ego pride to eager despair, from victory to defeat, those two imposters, when the rhythm of life has led us to some kind of win or lose situation, then the pulse is regular, flat and unvarying, the rhythm of fight or flight. But a heartbeat that is beating with Jesus' pulse is never regular. No two beats are of the same duration. That's what gives rhythm of life its elasticity and what makes a living musical performance so full of life. Jesus' announcement, then, that he is the bread, the last place they're looking, causes the Judeans to grumble the exact same word as the Septuagint uses and puts in the mouths of their forefathers in their wilderness exodus journey. Elijah's wilderness trek leads them to Horeb, the mount of God, the children of Israel, and the Exodus are on the exact same trajectory, so are Jesus' followers now, though they don't know it. Led by cloud and fire, the wandering people of God approach the volcano where God dwells inscrutable and unapproachable. To encounter him there means death, and they're driven back to build their own God in the valley. But Jesus comes in peace, not in anger. It is he who is put to death on the mountain, not us, by his own people, by us, to whom he came to offer himself as that sacrificial bread, drawing human anger against God onto himself. Yes, we are given the spiritual bread. What we pray for day by day is hunger hunger for Jesus. You can lead a horse to water, goes the saying, you cannot make him drink. This is the dilemma for the believer then, too. Why me? Why was I chosen to hunger and thirst for the things of God? No, for God himself. Why me and not so many in my own family? This is my story, even, who were far kinder and more loving and less self-obsessed than me. Why was I picked the least likely to come to faith among a beautiful family of non-believers. I shall never know. It helps to know how little it had to do with me and how much it had to do with God. But even when in the morning I go to intercede or open God's word, the two things that should awaken that life in me when it has gone flat and stale every hour of every day, then I look for the hunger first. As I sit in the quietness and prepare to drop these surprise intercessions on unwitting people, I await in the silence. Well, that's how you intercede. You get people's requests. This is Ruth Haley Barton, and I, I, it's right. You get the person's request, then you hand it to God. 
and you wait and you say, you tell me what to say. I know what they want. You tell me what they need. You tell me what they need and I will speak it and then you be there to run interference. All right, thank you. That's how we intercede. And we open God's word. In hunger, I await in the silence and in the light of dawn that anticipation, that expectation, that excitement to come before I open the text and let it then speak to me, let the Bible read me. I wait for that appetite that says, today, once again, all you yearn for will be fulfilled in these pages, in these words set before you, for your consumption, for your delight, for your conviction, purification, renewal, and new life. But I'm going to take you to a text that you didn't want to encounter. And you're going to dwell there until the appetite starts. And like the pulses of life, like sine waves that somehow cancel each other out, the rhythms of God's life pulsing from the word into our souls and bodies begins to track down, to uncover, to tune into and then tune out the bitterness and fear and anger and wrath and clamor, the slander, all the things that sour our peace with one another and block the vital flow of love from the very heart of God to us, through us and out into his world. The apostle says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Should have write it on the roof of the church, tender-hearted, forgiving, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, therefore, in that way, <clears throat> tender-hearted, forgiving, you want to be an imitator of God, it's not this tender-hearted, arms out on the cross, loving the people that are crucifying him, he forgives them as his beloved, rebellious, but beloved children. And we walk in love. That's the God we imitate. As beloved children, every need met, every want rolled up into God's will for us, God's rhythm. God's pulse, God's heartbeat close to ours. As the beloved disciple John himself will rest his head against the beating heart of his master Jesus at the Last Supper. Our daily bread awaits us here then. May we find our way to it, forgiving one another. And may we go out in peace, in peace to love him and serve him and serve his starving children with food that will last, with Christ himself. Nothing else will do what no one else can do, what he has done and he will do and he is doing for us. Amen.